Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I want to put a word up on the screen as I begin this morning, and it's a word that is going to be important for us as a family of faith as we look forward into 2020. Here's the word. Devoted. Devoted. It's a common word. It's a word that we use a lot. It's a word that gets used a lot, devoted or devotion. This word was introduced to the English language in print form in the mid-1500s, according to Webster's Dictionary. First time this word was ever used in print in English was, I think the date exactly was 1586. That's 434 years ago. And over the centuries, since this word has been introduced to the English language, we have found a lot of ways to express devotion, right? When we were talking about this as a pastoral team and leaning into this word, we talked about some of the things that people were devoted to. And I mentioned that, you know, a generation ago, people were devoted to stamp collecting. And we had some millennials in the room, and they looked at me like, what's a stamp? They didn't even know that you could collect them. But stamp collecting and things like coin collecting. My grandfather was a coin collector. He collected coins and then banks that you could put coins in. And he was devoted to that collection of that. When I was a kid growing up, I got devoted to collecting baseball cards. Baseball cards were an important part of my life, so much so that when I bought my wife's engagement ring, I bought it by selling baseball cards that I'd collected. Now, if you don't appreciate that, you don't understand baseball card collecting. That is a great statement of romantic love <clears throat> that I was willing to give up those baseball cards and buy that engagement ring. So we've throughout the centuries expressed being devoted or devotion in a variety of ways. And that's still true today. People are devoted to different things. It just looks different in our culture today. Some people are devoted to these. You know what these are? Some of you are looking at that like, is that like a neck massager? What is that? <laughs> Others of you know exactly what this is, right? If you're devoted to this, you're called a what? A gamer, exactly. This is what's used to play Xbox or PlayStation, and people get devoted to gaming, and they enjoy that. It's another way we express devotion. Another way today people express devotion, I discovered walking past Pastor Scott's office. The guy that you saw up here leading worship just a moment ago with that guitar, I walked by his office, and he has this in his office. And I thought Scott had started a meth lab here at Hope Church. <laughs> I was like, what? in the world is that? And he explained to me, I had to write it down, this is a Chem-X coffee maker. 
If you are devoted to coffee, you knew exactly what this was when I held it up, right? There's an obsession. Matter of fact, people that are doing this now, they're called the third wave of coffee devotion. The first wave in our history was when Maxwell House and the instant coffee. The second wave of the coffee uh, devotion was the Starbucks era. And now we have this, the third wave of coffee. And these people look down their nose at Starbucks like, oh, that's just the commoner coffee. We're devoted to coffee. Listen, if you're making your own coffee in this by yourself, you might need some help, all right? <laughs> but it's an expression of devotion and being devoted. I'm devoted in another area. I'm, I'm what you would call a foodie. Any other foodies in the room? If you're a foodie, you know this app, right? Come on now. I got reviews on there. I review stuff. I go to restaurants. I like to find the newest and the best and the trendiest. I love good food. I love watching people enjoy good food. I enjoy it. So I'm a foodie. I'm devoted to that. And you can, a lot of you tell you, I figured that by looking at you, right? I, you're devoted to that. Devotion is one of those things that we express in a lot of ways. But long before the word was introduced in the English language in print in the 1500s, and before we took devotion and drove it off the cliff with some of our strange, weird obsessions, the early church, the church in the first century, modeled devotion. And the early church devoted themselves to a few things that really mattered. And in doing that, God used them to turn the world upside down. Literally this morning, we are gathered in this place today, sitting here. We'll gather by the thousands today, and people will gather in churches across Las Vegas and across our country and around the world, and the millions of people will gather today, and all of us are a visible, tangible expression of the devotion of this group of people in the early church. So for the month of January, we're going to be together looking at this word, devoted. And we're really going to talk about it in the context of church community as a fellowship. A lot of times when we teach, there's just simply individual application in our personal lives. And as we walk through this, there will be some individual application in our personal lives. But we're really talking about us being together as a family of faith, devoted and pursuing together what really matters. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open it to the book of Acts chapter 6. In the book of Acts, we read the story, the history of the birth of the church, what you and I now know today as the New Testament church. We see the birth of the church and the growth of the church in the book of Acts all being used as a tool for the expansion of God's kingdom locally and globally. And by the time you get to Acts 6... You see some interesting stuff begin to happen, and I want to read it, and, and we'll use these verses, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, actually for the next three weekends. I'm going to read them all so you have the whole story, but we're going to be unpacking these over the next three weekends. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, I'll put it up here on the screen so you can follow along. 
It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. Now what that means is the early church was growing rapidly. And the English language here is a great understatement. We know something about growth as a church. Our church is growing in number. But nothing like what this verse is describing. In six months, the church here in in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts, went from 180 people to about 20,000 people. I think it's a little bit of an understatement to say the disciples were increasing in number. The word increasing is a word that means multiplying. They were just exploding. The church was growing. But then look what it says next. A complaint arose. Yep, that's a church. Amen. (laughs) It's growing and somebody's not happy. Some things change, some things don't change, right? Here's the church 2,000 years ago, adding new people, growing, and here's a complaint. And I think it's interesting that I point both of these out for a reason, because we're about to read how the church in the midst of this devotes themselves to a few things, but what's happening here is the enemy is trying to distract the church. Distraction can can come from growth. Growth can be a distraction. Complaint, conflict within the church can be a distraction. There are a thousand ways the enemy can distract us, but here's the early church experiencing the hand of God. They're growing. There's complaint happening, and it's all by way of distraction. The enemy's trying to get them off course. It says, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows are being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, this is not applicable for the message today, but I just want to say it because it so fits our context. I think it's interesting. This is the first recorded problem in the church. I think it's interesting that the first recorded problem in the church was not a theological, doctrinal problem. It was a cultural problem. What happened in the early church, the gospel engaged the city, and the church looked like the city. Multiple cultures were were redeemed together into one family, and that brought cultural problems. A lot of churches in America don't experience this because many churches in America are simply one culture. But what I love about Hope Church is the gospel has engaged the city of Las Vegas, and our church is a reflection of the city. We are a multicultural, multi-ethnic family of God. We're an expression of the real gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating a city. But here's where we need to be careful. Because we come from multiple cultures, there is potential for the enemy to use that to drive a wedge between us culturally. And that's what you see happen here in the early church. One culture got offended because another culture was seeming to be favored or privileged over another, and it brought conflict into the church. But the bottom line is the enemy's trying to use this to distract them and get them off course. Verse 2, so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will, here's the word, devote. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. 
you know it had to be of God. Amen? Everybody voted for it. Everybody said, yep, we agree. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And then look what verse 7 says. Because they didn't get distracted, because they stayed devoted to the things that mattered, the Word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. As our pastoral team really prayed and thought before the Lord about (coughs) where to go in January of this year, God led us to this passage of Scripture in the early church. And we spent a lot of time laboring and praying and thinking through this passage of Scripture about what they were devoted to as a fellowship. And three things really rose to the surface for us out of these verses that they were devoted to. And we think as we begin a new year together, it's a great opportunity for us to kind of calibrate as a fellowship and make sure together we're devoted to these things as well. So I'm going to give them to you in three statements, but then we're only going to unpack one of these today. We're going to look at these over the next three weekends. Number one, this year we must seek the Lord. The early church, by giving priority to God's Word and to prayer, they sought the Lord. They were dependent on God, and we want to do that. Number two, This year we must serve one another. You see the church here empowering everyone to use their gifts and service in the body. The church does not work with a few gifted people leading. The church works when all of us use our gifts and are unleashed in serving one another in the body of Christ. Then number three, we must spread the word. This year we must spread the word. Out of the overflow of their seeking of the Lord by giving priority to the word in prayer, and they're using their gifts in service to one another and not allowing the enemy to distract them, they engaged in, in mission and God using them to spread the word and the kingdom continuing to expand. But this weekend, we're going to focus on the first of these, and we're going to do it out of just one verse that I read for you. So I want to put it back up there and read Acts 6, just verse 4, one more time. Listen to what it says. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The word devote here, it's a word that means to continuously persist in something. It's the idea of giving priority of time, energy, effort, schedule, to something. And the early church said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give priority to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So I want to unpack that with three questions. Here's the first one. What is the ministry of the Word? Now maybe you think, wait a minute, you're asking that in backwards order. The first thing they mentioned was prayer, and then they mentioned the ministry of the Word. Why are you starting with the ministry of the Word? Well, I'm doing it intentionally because To be quite honest, this is the one most of the time, if we're going to get one right in the church, this is the one we get right. So I want to address it first, this idea of the ministry of the Word. Here's what the ministry of the Word is. It is the public reading and explanation of God's Word through preaching. 
It's exactly what we're doing right now. Right now, we've come together as God's people, and we're sitting under the teaching, the explanation of the Word of God, trusting that God is speaking to us through His Word. Paul wrote about this when giving instruction to the church in 1 Timothy. He wrote to another letter to a young pastor who was leading a church in a city called Ephesus. And here's what he wrote to Timothy. He said, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Why is the church, when we gather together, do we take time to open God's Word and to teach God's Word? Why do we do that? Well, it's just what the church is supposed to do. No, here's why we do that. Because God in His sovereignty established that as the church, we are to give priority to the Word. And He uses a few important words here. He says, first of all, to the teaching of the Word. Teaching is the explanation of God's Word. It's instructing from God's Word. It really answered the word teaching answers the question, what does the word say? Then the second word he uses here is exhortation. It's to encourage or challenge people to apply the truth to their life. It answers the question, how does the word apply to my life today? Every weekend when we gather, regardless of who's teaching up here, here's the objective, to try to take God's word and say, here's what God's word says, and here is how God's word applies to my life today. Now, whether you know this or realize this or not, whoever stands up here, whether it's me or one of our other pastors, and we preach on a Sunday, we don't just wake up on Sunday morning and say, okay, Lord, what do you want us to say today? I want you to understand that your pastors here, whoever's teaching in a given week, will give between 10 and 20 hours of their week to studying, praying through, and seeking to understand and answer those two questions. What does the text say? What does the Bible say? And how does that apply to our lives today? You say, why do you spend, why do the pastors spend so much time trying to answer the question, what does the Bible say and how does that apply? Here's why we do that. Because our opinion doesn't matter. I'm serious. Sometimes people think because the word pastor goes in front of our name that somehow our opinion or our input or our thinking or our uh, philosophy is somehow better or has more value than somebody else. Listen, mine has no more value than anybody else's in this room. Neither does any other pastor. The only value that we have as we stand before you is the authority of the Word of God. And what matters is what does the Bible say? And how does that apply to my life today? We believe convictionally that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and speaks to the people of God. I can't tell you how many times after a service, somebody will come up to me or they'll send me an email and they'll say, Pastor, I don't know, but it felt like today you were just talking to me. Anybody ever felt that? No, no, no. You don't have to, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. Well, I felt like you just, it's like you were following me around this week. It's like you've been reading my emails. How does that happen? Listen, 
It's not because of us. Literally, it has nothing to do with us. It's the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and reaching right into the life of the person of God and beginning to do a work of transformation. And listen, it doesn't always happen the same way. Say, what do you mean by that? Let me show you a verse out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Look at this verse. It says, for as the, what's this? Say that word. Rain and what? As the rain and snow. Now, rain and snow ultimately do the same thing to the earth, right? What do they do to the earth? They water it. Now, they don't do it the same way. When it rains, the earth is immediately wet. When it snows, sometimes the water, the moisture in that snow stays as snow for days or weeks. In some places, months before the sun melts it, and then it waters. But look what it says. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnish seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Ultimately, both the rain and the snow do that, right? Look what he says. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Here, I, I, Listen, I so believe that. It's what gives me confidence every Sunday when I stand up here and open the Word of God. I believe that promise. But here's what I'm telling you. Some Sundays, it feels like rain. Here's what I mean by that. We all leave wet. Man, we felt the Word of God. It's come alive in our soul. We're walking out of here with our rain boots on. Man, we're just sloshing all over everybody. We're soaking wet with the Word of God. And let me tell you, when that's happening in the service, I want you to know I feel it, man. I'm up here preaching tonight. That's why they give me a clock. Because when that starts happening, I want to just keep going. But there are other Sundays that it ain't rain. And I feel that too. I'm looking at that clock going, oh, my Lord, I want this to be over. It's cold in here. Feels frozen. And listen, early in preaching ministry for me, my emotion was affected by that. If it felt like rain, I was like, whoo, it's a good day. If it didn't feel like rain... But now that I understand the Word, here's what I know. Sometimes what's happening on Sunday is God's snowing in your life. And it's going to be Wednesday at work in the middle of a crisis when the Holy Spirit of God begins to melt that snow and the Word of God begins to reign in your soul and begins to speak. But here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter if on Sunday it feels like rain or if it feels like snow. The Word of God is always going to do what God sent His Word to do. So as a fellowship, we got to be devoted to the Word of God. Second question. What is the ministry of prayer? The ministry of prayer. Well, most often, this is interpreted in such a way that I don't think is exactly right. Look back at Acts 6.4. It says, but we will devote ourselves to what? Prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Here's the way a lot of churches, a lot of pastors read this verse. 
We, the pastors, need to pray so that we can preach the Word. They hear this like, as the pastors, we need to pray so we can be used of God in the preaching of the Word. Now, don't misunderstand me. Pastors need to pray. We need to pray just like you need to pray. Oftentimes, we need to pray worse than you need to pray. We got stuff going on in our life, too. We're just as on a journey as you are. We need to pray. Matter of fact, Ian Bounds said it this way about preachers and prayer. He said, God's true preachers can be distinguished by one great feature. They are men of prayer. But I don't believe that's what Acts 6-4 is talking about. Put Acts 6-4 back up here. I don't think that's what it's talking about because I don't think that's what it's literally saying. But we will devote ourselves to prayer. And notice this, the ministry of the word. Sometimes in the way that English translates the Greek language, I don't think that it always, I think 99.9% of the time it's dead on. But I think sometimes our English translation affects the way we interpret Scripture. The word the is literally... The definite article in the Greek language is before all three of these words, prayer, ministry, and word. Meaning, I think you could literally translate this, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. What is the prayer? I think it's parallel with the ministry of the word. He's talking about the church coming together corporately to seek God in prayer. The balance here is we need to come together and sit under the instruction of the Word, and we need to come together and seek God desperately in prayer. The church here is devoting itself to prioritizing prayer and the Word together. With that simple phrase, the early church unlocked the key to God moving in and through His church. Here's the key. Prayer and the Word. Prayer and the Word. I want to use an illustration this morning. I want to show you an airplane. Now, airplanes have two wings, right? They got two wings for a reason. If you understand aerodynamics, it needs both of those wings to capture the wind to be able to fly. An airplane with just one wing is not a good airplane. Amen? If you go down to McCarran Airport today to get on an airplane and you go through the security and you get seated on that airplane and you buckle in and you look out your window and there's a wing and you look out the other window and there's not a wing, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there quietly with your seatbelt buckled and just smile as the pilot begins to back that plane up from the the tarmac? No. Why? Because you know that plane is not going to fly. If it's got one wing, you're doing what? You're getting off as fast as you can, right? God in His sovereignty established that the church has two wings to the plane. If we are going to be prepared to capture the wind of the Spirit of God as He moves in and through our midst, both wings of the plane, prayer and the ministry of the Word. And you know what's unfortunate? There are a lot of churches with just one wing, or unfortunately, there's some churches with zero wing. Do you know that in North America... North America is one of the only continents in the world. It's one of two, but one of the only continents in the world where Christianity is declining. 
in many continents, on most continents around the world, Christianity is exploding and growing, but not in North America, which is largely us, America. And I think the reason is because of what we just uncovered. We don't have the two wings of the plane. Unfortunately, the church in America is weak in both of these areas. We're weak in the Word. You know what's happened in many churches in America? We've relegated the Word to the seasoning of what we want to say rather than the substance of what's being said. Rather than starting with the Scripture and saying, what does the Bible say? We start in a creative meeting. What do we want to say? And then we find some Bible verses to salt it and season it and make it spiritual. We've relegated prayer in much of the church in America. Corporate prayer together. The only time much of the church in America ever prays is when it's time for the band to move off the stage, right? We get everybody to close their eyes so we can change the set. Nobody knows what's going on. We've relegated prayer to moments of transition when we move on and off the stage. And we look at our churches in the context of our country and we look at our culture and we wonder why we're in the situation we're in. God gave us the church, and he gave us the church to to move in our midst, and he gave two wings to the plane, the word of God and prayer, and we need an awakening of the word and prayer in the church in America. Thankfully, by God's grace, we've seen a little bit of a resurgence in the last 20 years or so to, to biblical preaching and the exposition of Scripture. So what we now have in many churches in America are theologically, biblically sound churches. The problem is, because we only got one wing of the plane, there's no power. We know the Scriptures and we know our Bibles, but we're not seeing the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. We're not seeing the power of God fall. Until we get both wings of the airplane, a devotion to the Word of God, And a devotion to prayer, we will not see God move in power. And I think that's exactly what the church, they were growing, they were having problems. They said, we cannot let that distract us from prioritizing the word and prayer. And then you you see that that's the way the church began to live. As you read on through the book of Acts, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. In 26 of those chapters, the Bible mentions prayer. And in most of those instances, it's not individuals praying. Listen, we need to pray as individuals. But in most of the instances in the book of Acts, you know what it is? It's the church coming together to pray. I think we're not seeing the power of God because we don't come together and pray. John Franklin in his book said it this way. The greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer. And we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. God in His sovereignty has determined that something happens when we pray together that transcends our praying separately. And at Hope Church, we've experienced that. Here's what we've learned. When we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. So at Hope, one of the things that we try to practice is what we call Scripture-fed, Spirit-led praying together. Say, what does that look like? It looks like just what we did a few minutes ago. If you hadn't noticed this, every week in our services, we take some Scripture and we put it up on the screen. 
we read that scripture together, and then we pray through that text of scripture together. What is that? Scripture fed, spirit led. As the spirit leads us, we pray together as a church. We've tried to build in an eight or ten minute block, and every time we gather where we just pray together as God's people, and we've seen God do miraculous things in response to the prayers of his people. I want to encourage you in your small groups. As you meet in small groups, you should make sure to carve out a few minutes of that small group to just open to a psalm, a text of Scripture, and let the Scripture feed that time of prayer and the Spirit lead that time of prayer as you pray together in small groups. We also do this as a church by having what we call prayer gatherings. There are several nights throughout the year where we gather just to pray. That's all we do. We come together for about an hour and a half and we pray. And i got to be honest, they're some of my favorite gatherings we have as a church. But you know what's sad? They're some of our least attended gatherings we have as a church. So I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to put five dates up here on the screen. These five dates are the five prayer gatherings in 2020 that we have currently scheduled. We may add some more, but these five, I want you to take a picture of it. I want you to go ahead and put it in your phone. Put your reminder for the day before, because let me make you a promise. Come March 24th, the enemy is going to give you 10,000 good reasons not to be here. 10,000 good reasons not to come pray. And some of them are going to be good. And you're going to have to overcome those. Why, why do we make prayer a priority? Because the early church said we're going to devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the Word. And it's in devotion to prayer in the ministry of the Word that we see the wind of the Spirit of God begin to move. So I want you to mark these down and make... Now, I'm not talking about... We're, sometimes we're going to get sick. Sometimes we're going to be out of town. Listen, I, I won't hit all five. I'll be out of town or something on one of them. I'm sure it's going to happen. But I'm saying we're making it a priority as a fellowship to say I'm going to prioritize. We're going to prioritize coming together for the word and prayer. Let me close by asking one last question. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? Let me give you three reasons why it matters. Number one, to neglect the word and prayer displeases the Father. The text said it's not desirable for us to do this. The word desirable means acceptable, satisfying, pleasing. Here's what that means. If today, as we gather four times in worship, we don't give priority to praying together and coming under the word together, God is displeased. And can I be real transparent? At the end of the day today, it does not matter if I liked it or you liked it. What matters is, is God pleased with what we've done in gathering here today? And God will not be pleased if we don't give priority to the word and prayer. You know what that tells me? There's a whole lot of what we call church in America that doesn't please the Father. Because it does not give priority to the word and to prayer. Number two. To prioritize the word and prayer invites the manifest presence of God among us. You know what we need today more than we need anything else? We need God to show up and do what only God can do. Amen? I hope that's why you, I hope you didn't come today for a sermon. 
I hope you didn't come today for a song. I hope you didn't come for a spiritual pick-me-up. I hope you came because you thought, man, God is going to show up, and I need to be in the presence of God. When we give priority to the Word and to prayer, it invites the manifest presence. What is the manifest presence of God? Well, quickly, there are three ways we talk about the presence of God. We talk about the omnipresence of God. That means God is everywhere all the time, meaning you can't escape His presence. God, you don't have to conjure up the presence of God. He's omnipresent. That's why he says about his name, I am. I am where? Everywhere, all the time. I'm not present. But then we talk about the indwelling presence of God. That's for every Christian. When you come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. But then there's a third. It's called the manifest presence of God. And the manifest presence of God is the unique way that God makes himself known in our midst that is clearly seen, evident, and undeniable. It's God showing up in a unique way and doing what only God can do. A.W. Tozier described it this way. He said the presence of God and the manifestation of the presence of God are not the same. There can be one without the other. Meaning we can show up here on Sundays and we can go through the motions of church. We can sing some songs and I can give a talk and we can leave and God never show up. Now, God's here. He's omnipresent, but we don't experience the manifest presence of God. But here's what the Bible's teaching us. When we give priority to the Word and when we give priority to prayer, it's an invitation for God to manifest His presence and show up and do what only God can do. Listen, which means, as you think about 2020, here's what I'm telling you. As a church, when we gather, we're going to give priority to the Word and prayer. But here's what I'm asking of you. You give priority to us gathering. See, what's happened to church attendance in America is church attendance has become so casual. People come when they want to come. They show up when they want to show up. If they feel like it, if the weather's good, if there's no ball game on, no movie they want to watch, and Let me tell you why that's significant. The manifestation of the presence of God is not dependent on a few leaders up here on a stage. The manifestation of the presence of God rests in all of us coming together with a heart that's giving priority to the word and prayer. And when you choose to not be a part of the... I'm not talking about out of town, sick, work, not. But when we just choose out of convenience to not be a part of the gathering, it could be us that is robbing the fellowship of the manifestation of the presence of God. All of us together, prioritizing the word and prayer, saying to God, God, we're desperate and we need you to move among us. And finally, to prioritize the word and prayer allows us to experience the power of God in and through us. We'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, look how this text closed that I read for you. It said, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. How'd that happen? Because they devoted themselves to the priority of the word and prayer. And the overflow of that, listen, get this, God fueled his mission out of the overflow of the church coming together, giving priority to the Word and to prayer. Ian Bounds said it this way, the life, power, and glory of the church is in prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer and the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless, powerless. 
may we devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray that in these moments as we bring this to an end today, God, that you would speak to us as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would take the Word and begin to do a work in our own heart. there this morning in a spirit of prayer let me start by saying this this part of our service every weekend is not the green light for you to get to the parking lot early so you can beat everybody else out listen we've sat and given priority to the word and prayer and we expect God in these moments to move in power there are eternal decisions being made we have an opportunity for God to speak Maybe you're here today and this is your first time in a church service. Maybe you came here today with a new year trying to turn over a new leaf and start a new life. Hey, let me be real honest with you today. Hope Church cannot change your life. Oh, but listen, the God we worship can, and His name is Jesus. You're looking around at a whole bunch of people whose lives have been changed, not by a church, but by Jesus. The church is where we come together to grow in our relationship with Jesus, but it's Jesus that changes lives. If you're here today and you want a new life, a new start, a new beginning, I got good news for you today. The whole story of the Bible is that God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus into the world to take all of your sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for your sin. He died for your brokenness. And he rose again from the dead as a testimony that he defeated it. And because of Jesus, you and I can now be forgiven and be given a relationship with God. And God can take the broken pieces of our life and put them back together. If you don't know Jesus today, when we stand and begin to sing a song of worship in just a moment, we got pastors here at the front. You can come to one of our pastors today and say, I need Jesus. And they'll sit down with you and show you from the Bible how you can have a relationship with God. You can begin a new life today. All you got to do in just a moment is come. Others of you are already Christians. And maybe as you've heard me talk about the church giving priority to the word in prayer, it's brought conviction to your own heart about the lack of priority to the word and prayer you're giving in your life personally. Maybe you just want to come and get in one of these altars this morning and we're going to take these <coughs> steps up here and open them up like an old-fashioned altar. You can just come and kneel before God and you can just make a fresh surrender in your own life to giving priority to the word and to prayer and to gathering with God's people. What, great, what, what greater Sunday than the first Sunday of a new year to make that fresh surrender? Maybe you want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, your marriage, your finances, your whatever it may be. Our pastors are going to be here. The altar is going to be open. We're going to sing this song of worship to God. Lord, would you have your way this morning? As we bring this time of worship to a close, God, may 
you speak, may you move. I pray for those today, God, that are here on the first Sunday of a new year trying to get a new start. I pray, God, give them the boldness to come to one of these pastors and just say, I need Jesus. And I pray they'd meet Jesus today. Lord, I pray for Christians in this place that need to be broken today, that need to, God, just make a fresh surrender. I pray you'd move in power. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.